Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, hi everyone. Good morning. It's good to see you. We are looking at some of the major events in Jesus' life as a sermon series. Last week we looked at his baptism and saw that our baptism identifies us with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a public statement to say, I am putting my faith in Jesus Christ and trusting what happened at the cross and the resurrection. And we are celebrating baptism this weekend. Today, in the message, we are looking at Jesus' temptation and what it means for the temptations we experience and we face in our lives. Now, Jesus' baptism and temptation are two of the most significant events in human history. They're recorded uh, several places in the Gospels. Uh, Let's look at it in the Gospel of Matthew, and let's not miss a word here. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift, up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put, your Lord, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. In this passage, we see an important overarching principle. It's summed up. It is bound up in one word at the beginning of chapter 4, then. He was baptized, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There's baptism, then there's battle. A voice from heaven, a voice from the light, then a voice from the darkness. The voice from the light speaks once. The voice from the darkness keeps going and going and going. First, there's comfort. Then there is conflict. There's strength, then weakness. First, there's water. Then there's desert. What, what does this word then mean? What's going on here? Is it just the order of events, like he was baptized, then he was tested? Or is this more therefore or thus? What leads him What is it that leads him in the wilderness or into the desert? It's the one that came down on him in his baptism. 
The Spirit came down and is the author of all this comfort. Then it's the same Spirit that leads him into the wilderness. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Here's the principle. Baptism, then battle. Here's, here's my question today. Can you imagine getting to a place in your life where you are so led by the Spirit that you are absolutely pleasing to God? Imagine getting, that's hard for me to imagine about myself, but just try, just imagine getting to a condition where you are absolutely pleasing to God. Now, how would your life go? What would your life be like? Because when things happen to us, good or bad, what do we almost immediately think? We think my life is going well. I I must be doing some good things. I must be doing things right. My life is going better. I must be better. I must be better than others. Or my life is going worse. I'm facing trouble or testing. I must be worse. I must must have done something wrong along the way. And here we have the exact opposite. There was one person who was completely led by the Holy Spirit and completely pleasing to God. How did his life go? What was the result? Anyone who says, I'm going to give God every bit of pleasure from my life that I can, that person will experience some wilderness. Inside, they will feel pressure, testing, temptation in their heart that they never felt before. You will never outgrow temptation. And it's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. Not just in these times in Matthew 4, but throughout his life. And he responded correctly each time. Now sometimes we think, if I were only more spiritually mature, I wouldn't be tempted. Jesus was spiritually mature and he was tempted. He was tested. Temptation is not a sign of weakness. And after a spiritual high especially, you can expect a spiritual test. The baptism and temptation are never separated. In the Gospel of Mark, he goes as far to say is immediately or at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness so that we don't miss that Christianity is a test. Now, if you're here and you're considering or thinking about becoming a Christian, you could be thinking, Ryland, you are not a very good salesman here. Like, why would I ever want to do this? You may be getting baptized today and wondering, what am I getting into? Well, you are getting into something amazing, and I am being truthful today, because anyone who offers you a Christianity that does not include testing and tears is not offering you the real thing. It's a counterfeit. Anyone who tells you, if you receive God, that's the end of temptation, the end of trial, the end of strife in your life, that person's not offering you the real thing. It's a test. It's a battle. But God equips us and has already won the victory of this battle, and he offers victory to us. I'd like to talk about three things today that we can learn about temptation in the battle from this event in Jesus' life. If you're going into any battle, you want to know these three things. Who's the enemy? It's like, who am I battling up against? Where is the front? So where's the battlefront of this battle? And what's the weapon? What's the weapon of choice? They're all here in the text. Who's the enemy? He's called the tempter. He's called the devil. 
Jesus says, away from me, Satan, it's Satan. Excuse me, the Bible teaches this. When you look into the world and you see any progress of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of love, of grace, of peace and light, there is another kingdom out there opposing it. The kingdom of pride, of hate, of fear, of darkness. And those negative forces are powerful. I don't know anyone who would deny that looking at the world today. And they're powerful because at the bottom, they're intelligent. There's a driving intelligent force to it. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do not be naive to these powers. If you think that all that is behind the horrible things we see in the world is that all that's behind that is dictators or economics or racism or power or human desire. Let's make it more personal. If you think all that is behind your addiction is poor parenting or earthly happenstance or a friend group, you're completely missing the point. There is a spiritual force. And some people say, they will tell you, well, that's old-fashioned thinking, that's not sophisticated because people in the Bible times didn't understand sickness and, and the problems and the, the nuances of the issues that we face today, and so they blamed a spiritual force, they blamed the devil. And my response to that has been, well, do you believe that there is a God? Do you believe that there's a personal supernatural good? then couldn't there be a personal supernatural evil? I mean, what's behind the atrocities that we see in the world? And if you do not believe that there is a force behind that, then you're saying that that's just human nature and we're completely capable of that without aid. Let's come at this from another angle. It's very difficult to say Jesus was right about some things or right about most things, but he wasn't right about the devil. But Jesus taught it. And what's the basis for Jesus' authority? Does Jesus' authority in teaching come from a historical vantage point? Or does his authority come from being the Son of God? And he says he saw Satan fall like lightning. He was tested by him in the wilderness. We don't get to pick and choose what Jesus was right and wrong about. John 10.10, Jesus says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, there are two extremes you can take, two mistakes you can make when it comes to the enemy. We can have an unhealthy interest in him, kind of over-believe in him, or an unhealthy under-interest, like we never consider him at all. It's been said that the devil's like this a specific horned lizard in southwest Arizona, which I was going to show you a video of, but I was afraid you'd just all get up and leave, because it's the creepiest thing I've ever seen in my life. And, and this lizard, what it does is it either puffs himself up to look bigger than he really is, or he plays dead. One of the two. That's the enemy. That's the devil. Puffs himself up to make the fear and the problems 
It's an illusion to look bigger than it really is or plays dead so you don't consider him at all. Now, every time, here's the point, you may, every time you make progress, there will be an opposite counterattack. There are mountains and valleys, and our spiritual milestones are tested. Why is it that every time we make some resolutions or have some progress, have a powerful worship service, have a moment of clarity or, or worship experience, get clarity like we've never had before, never felt better, then we fall into something. Like, if, if I lived up to every commitment, moment of clarity, resolution I'd made, you would be looking at one amazingly fit human being who is so patient and so kind. I don't live up to it. Why? Because there's a counterattack every time. Where is the front? We're using battle terms here. Let's ask it this way. Where is the front? Now, it's going to be a minute before I answer this or give you something to write down. The battlefront, the front line, the Department of Defense defines the front line as the line of contact between two opposing forces. And it's valuable to know where the front is because you don't want to mistake a rear guard action uh, for the front. And many people mistake, when it comes to temptation, when it comes to the enemy, they mistake the bizarre, the weird, the extraordinary, they mistake that for the front. That's not how the enemy works primarily. How did the enemy work here? Satan did nothing flashy, bizarre, paranormal. What did he do? He came to Jesus and simply contradicted everything that was just said about him from God at his baptism. Let's look at, at what, what were the temptations. He says to Jesus, number one, turn these stones into bread. Number two, throw yourself down from the top of the temple and, and float. Number three, worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this earth. Now remember from last week that when Jesus goes to John the Baptist to be baptized, John is initially confused. He's, you should be baptizing me, he says. And Jesus is saying, no, I don't need it, but I'm here as a substitute. I've come to repent in your place. I've come to live in your place. I've come to fulfill all righteousness, to die in your place, to rise from the dead so that you can stand in my place. And when the Father says, this is my son, with whom I'm well pleased. God is actually quoting scripture there. He's quoting scripture. He's taking from two uh, Old Testament passages, Psalm 2-7 Isaiah 42-1. And in Psalm 2, he says, this is my son, and it's a messianic psalm that describes a king that's coming, that's going to rule the nations, and almost all the people in Jesus' time knew that the messianic psalm, uh, that that's describing someone who would come and break the nations with a rod of iron, with whom I'm well pleased is from the servant psalms of Isaiah in Isaiah 42. And in those places, it describes a suffering servant who's going to come and by his stripes we are healed. He was crushed for our iniquities, bruised for our sin. And the, Jew, the Jews did not know who that could be. They thought, is that us? Who is this? No one expected the suffering servant from Isaiah 42 to be the same person described in Psalm 2 and these messianic kingship prophecies. And it's, God says, yes, it's the same person. Like the king is the servant. The triumph will be a judgment. The victory will be a defeat. And that's the reason John the Baptist doesn't get it. Jesus says, no, I've come to take your place. So when the temptation happens, 
that the enemy says, turn these stones into bread. It's a frontline attack on salvation, on substitution. Because he's saying, the enemy's saying, Jesus, I want you to use your divine power. Okay, don't, don't re- depend on the Holy Spirit. Don't depend on God the Father. Depend on yourself. But Jesus at his baptism is saying, I'm putting myself in your place. And he lived exactly the way that we should, praying to God the Father for everything and relying on the Holy Spirit, clinging to the Father in complete weakness. And Satan is coming to test this relationship, to test this position. He's saying, I don't want you to be weak, be strong. Then he takes him to the temple courts and stands at the top, says, throw yourself down. If people see this miracle, they see you floating to earth, you won't have to use the cross to draw all people to yourself. They'll come right now. They'd come right away, and you wouldn't have to go through suffering. Then he takes them to the mountain. If you worship me, I'll give you everything. Everything that God the Father was going to give you, I'll give you now, but without you can have the mountain without the valley, and you can get a crown without the cross. What's the temptation here? The temptation is for Jesus to establish a religion like every other religion, to come down as an example, not a savior, to come down in strength and say, be like me and I will save you. Satan is tempting him to say, don't let people be drawn by salvation. Don't let, don't let people be saved by faith. Make them be saved by modeling you, by emulating you, by living up to you. Don't come down as a savior. Come down as an example. Be like every other religious founder who says, do this and you will live. Instead of coming and saying, I will do everything in your place. I'll pay for it. Satan is throwing himself against the heart of Christianity. Friend, every other religion says, you live a righteous life and give it to God. Christianity says, Christ has lived a righteous life and gives it to you. The life of Christ in you. And Satan is flailing against it. Now, how does Satan come against you and me? What, what is the main thing that he does? Does he try to possess you? Does he try to levitate things at you? Knives coming at you? Like every depiction of how Satan works in TV and movies is a rear guard, rear guard action. It's not the main way, it's not the main thing that he does. John 8, 44 says when he, this is Jesus speaking, but he says when he, the devil, lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Where is the front? If you're taking notes, it's lies in a heart. Lies in the heart. When we believe a lie, When you believe a lie about Jesus, when you begin to treat him as more of an example than a savior and fail to see that he is your substitute that stood in your place, when you say, well, maybe if I live like he did, I'll deserve God's favor and forget that if you receive him, you're a son of God or son or daughter of God today, today, today you are pleasing to God. John 1:12. yet all who did receive him To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Gave it. He gave it. 
In the baptism, God says, this is my son. The first thing that comes off of Satan's lips, what's the first thing he says, the first and second time of the temptation? If you are the son of God. And friend, what's the real problem when you're going through temptation or suffering or trials or problems? The real problem isn't even the circumstance you're going through. It's what the enemy's telling you about the circumstance. If you are a child of God, you shouldn't be doing this. If you are a child of God, you wouldn't be struggling with this. If you are a child of God, this wouldn't be a temptation. This wouldn't be a circumstance. This problem wouldn't be happening to you. And if you believe that Jesus is just some amazing example rather than your Savior, when you get into suffering, you'll say, I deserve a better life than what I got. And you'll be mad at God. Or you'll say, I don't deserve a good life. I deserve all this pain. And you'll be mad at yourself. If you don't come to Jesus Christ as your substitutionary Savior, you'll live life mad at God or mad at yourself. But if you go to Jesus, which the enemy doesn't want you to see, and grab a hold of him and say, I am his beloved child, and with me, he is well pleased. It transforms your circumstances, transforms your life, transforms your attitude. How could you be a child of God? It's the attack. It's the frontal assault on your heart. It's the main front. So what is the weapon? What is the weapon? When Satan comes to Jesus and says, use your divine authority to turn these stones into bread, that's a temptation. You may be still wondering, what's so bad about that? Uh, well, what does Jesus say in response? Jesus answered in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he's thinking about the word he just got in his baptism. What Satan does to you and to me says, he says, you're afraid you're going to lose someone that you love. You're afraid that you're not going to succeed at something. You're scared. Jesus says it's the word of God that makes you pleasing. God's word, not your performance. Because uh, you and I haven't been tempted to turn stones into bread. But we're tempted to misuse our strengths all the time. Temptation isn't always about weakness. Temptation many times is about misusing our strengths. We're tempted to use our influence for selfish reasons. If you're a persuasive person, you can be tempted to uh, manipulate. Uh, the devil wants you to use your God-given strengths for selfish reasons. Jesus understood the only thing that's going to satisfy your heart is God's word saying, you are pleasing. The word of God is something Jesus continually went to, and we are to hold on to that. What is the weapon? The weapon is the word of God. If there were a better weapon against the enemy, don't you think Jesus would have used it? He's kind of a smart guy. <laughs> I mean, it's so powerful. This weapon's so powerful, even the enemy used it. In the second temptation, Satan quotes scripture. 
He tries to use a scripture to convince Jesus to sin. He distorts a passage from Psalm 91. And some people will present convincing reasons to do something wrong, to believe something untrue. They may even find a Bible verse to support their point of view. But we use the word of God to interpret the word of God. And it's worth the time and the life to continually be in the word. From weekend services to small groups to celebrate recovery, daily reading, to understand so that you can stand in this battle. That when someone brings to you a bizarre sounding Bible verse, you know the context and understand there's actually a logical reason that says what it says. The word of God is a multi-tool weapon that gives us the tools to conquer temptation. What did Jesus do throughout his life? Even on the cross, he was quoting scripture. Jesus dealt with all troubles, problems in his life with the word of God. Why? Because you cannot just say no to the devil. You can't. Jesus did not even just say no to the devil. Get away from me, Satan, for it is written. How does this work? If you're, if you're being tempted to cross a boundary, if you're being tempted to cross a sexual boundary that you have said no to and you find yourself going over to it, why? Because the devil is saying, you need this to be pleasing. And Jesus says, that will not make you pleasing. It's only the word of God that will satisfy. The enemy tries to give us the world, materialism, power, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Only that will satisfy if you're doing something that's dishonest, doing something that's dishonest at work or telling a lie in your life, why? What is the front in that battle? The enemy's coming to you and saying, you have to have this to be successful. You have to have people think this about you to be pleasing. Jesus says, no, take a look. This is my child whom I love. It's the word of God. Jesus as our savior, that's what makes me pleasing. Therefore, I don't need these other things. As nice as they may be, I'm free. I'm free. And that's what you have to take deep down into your heart. The, the front assault is lies in your heart. That's why you have to hide the word in your heart. Let me show you this scripture. Back to Ephesians 6 uh, in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground so that you don't become a statistic. You don't fall. And then it lists a, a bunch of armor to be able to do that, but then one weapon, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you have God's Word ready for the challenges and tests you will face in life? What, when I'm faced with a financial challenge, test, or temptation, I have Philippians 4.19. It is written, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. When, when I'm afraid at night, afraid for my kids, afraid for me, I have Psalm 4, 8, in peace I will lie down and sleep. For, it, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. When I don't feel like I fit anywhere in this world, I have Hebrews 13, 14, for it is written, this world is not my permanent home. I am looking forward to a home yet to come. When I'm tempted to do what others are doing, say what others are saying, I have Romans 12, 
It is written, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When I feel like giving up, I have Galatians 6, 9, for it is written, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And when someone is lashing out at me and is just spewing anger at me, I have Proverbs 15, 1, for it is written, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When I don't think anything that I've just read is true, <laughs> I, I have this. For all God's promises are, have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen ascends to God for his glory. When I feel that the temptation just is too overwhelming, I have 1 Corinthians 10, 13. For it is written, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will give you a way out. This week, I had a, a, a new emotion and struggle uh, that I, hadn't, I had not experienced before. But you know what? I had notes from a sermon that I'd heard on that thing, a sermon I'd never think I would need in my life, and I went back to that, and I had a verse, and I had God's word. And this week, I won. I want to win. I want to make it to the finish line. And I've looked. Friend, I've studied the people in my life who make it to the finish line. And they make it on the word of God. And I want to make it to the finish line too. You don't, grow out, you don't outgrow temptation and testing, but you learn to conquer it. Let's pray. God, help us to tackle the lies in our hearts. Every one of us, every one of us in this room right now, watching online, listening sometime this week, there is some way in which the devil is saying, you can't be a child of God. The enemy did it to, to Jesus, the Son of God. There's some way in which he's saying, you can't be a child of God. Don't look to Jesus as a savior, but as an example. And there's some way in which we're be being confronted with lies. And God, we need your help to turn him aside like Jesus did. Dear God, you know the habits, the temptations, the ways that I fail. You know the lies that I've believed. You know what I'm facing right now. You know what lies ahead that I don't even know about yet. And I'm willing to follow the path of escape so I can be free. Lord, help me to be a person of your word. And God, help me to believe that I am your child, your beloved child, with whom you are well pleased. Because of Jesus Christ, our Savior, he saves us. It's in his name we praise you today. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.